Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Well, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name's Scott Avey, the lead pastor here. Delighted you're here with us, even if you're online. Maybe you're not able to uh, be with us in person. We're just glad you're, you're kind of keeping up with what God's been doing in our church this morning. I want to talk about the faithfulness of God as it relates to some of the conversations we've had in the last six to nine months as a church body because what we've realized is um, this is this space has been a great space for our church to begin. We started five years ago. It's a flexible solution. COVID taught us that this is a great flexible way to start a church, but ultimately it's a faulty foundation, uh, a little bit like building your house on a foundation of sand that's just kind of shifting, right? Because all it takes is a snowstorm or an FCPS policy change, and we don't have somewhere to go. Right? So as a church body, we started saying, man, um, we, we want to find a more, per, like a, a longer term 24-7 solution for us as a church. And uh, we started looking for a space about a year ago, and there's just nothing available. We came to the place where we said, in order to be able to take action on opportunities as they come, we need to, as a church body, for those people that call this place home, we need to prepare ourselves for that. And so we started... Let's go, a capital campaign to raise the resources so that if a building became available, um, we would be able to take action. If a building didn't become available, then, then we would look to buy land. And God moved in a big way, and together we raised almost a quarter million dollars. It's a huge deal. Um, and we even had someone came to me and said, listen, I, I, I can't ride my motorcycle anymore. Can I donate this Harley Davidson to the church? And I want it to be used for kingdom purposes. And we said, yeah, that's amazing. So in a little bit, we'll be selling a Harley Davidson. If you want a Harley Davidson, talk to me and maybe I go to the, help the church out, whatever. Right, so it was amazing to see people respond in, in like kind. And we've been praying for that as well. And this morning, I just want to give an update. We want to tell you what we know, when we know it. Be transparent about how God's been moving and how he's been faithful. And I'm just going to give you a thumbnail about some, uh, some exciting things that have happened this last week. I've had lots and lots and lots and lots of phone calls with uh, many of our team members. Uh, it's been exciting because in the last two weeks, a property became available near the high school. Um, Grace Baptist Church had been meeting in a, a building there. I got about six of you text messaged me two weeks ago, um, hey, this property hit the market. And I said, okay. Now, I'm just telling you a little bit about me. I tend to approach things cautiously uh, in that instance. I'm not like, woo, let's do this, right? But I figured we need to go look at it. And so I went and looked at it, and it um, had enough promise where I brought additional team members to look at it. And we wanted to evaluate, is this a property that, you know, the financials have to be right, but is it also a property where our church could, um, could step into now and it would meet our needs? Specifically, we have a lot of children, do we have space for children there? Can we gather together and uh, together like a physical space for our worship time? Is there enough space for that? Um, and so, the, and that was a big concern. And then, secondly, I wanted to make sure that we were stepping into a place that can move us into the future as well, that we could grow in that space. That the moment we got in there, we wouldn't have like maxed it out right away, right? So those were those were some of the things that we were looking at when we evaluated the property. And as we as we exited out of that, we realized that we believe this is um, God's hand of provision for us at an amazing time period for us as a church body, because um, th 
there's an elementary school being built behind us. I don't know if you knew that, right? But this, that's, this is going to be destroyed as soon as school's done. Um, and we were going to be moving over to the junior high. We're going to do another shift for four months until Labor Day before we could get back to the new elementary school. That's what we've been prepping and planning. And God provided this at a, at a remarkable time period for us. Um, we wanted to make sure, though, like we're not going to just jump into something because of that, but it's a, an affirmation of God's timing as we've stepped into it. And we stepped into it and we said, we want to make sure about some things. Is there space for children? Can we fit uh, like our parking needs there? And as we critically, with diligence and wisdom, looked at those needs, we thought that this was actually a really great solution. So we made an offer on Thursday and they accepted it on Friday. So you're going to have new neighbors. Park, April is saying we can all park in front of her home. Yeah. She's, how, you're three doors down, four doors down? Four. Yeah. What is it, the band? The band's three doors down. Is that what that was? Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool, right? So you can walk to church. Okay, that's really rad. So let me tell you about, about this just a little bit. And there's a picture here. Dan, go ahead and show this. Um, they've accepted our offer. It's cute as a button. It's the kind of place that you want to have a wedding at, right? Um, so it's, it's pretty neat. The original building was built, check this out, in 1894. And then they have an education wing down, what, what, what road is that, April? Park. park, down Park, there's that little education wing. It was built in 1920, so that's the new, the new side of the building. Um, but it's, it's, really, it's really adorable and it has sufficient space for us. And, and when we step back and we look at how God has just been faithful and has provided it's remarkable. It's really remarkable to me with the timing. But, but also, guys, I want you to step back and remember that we stepped into this conversation with a big, fat question mark. God, we don't know what the solution is. But we want to step forward, and we believed that when, we, when our faith met God's faithfulness, that we'd see things happen, and we'd see things move. And, and many of you participated with that. And I just want to say thank you because you did that we're not only able to make the down payment on it, but we're able to have um, a lot significant funds towards making it a, even a better place for us. Normal improvements, painting and carpet, but there's also some, some things that we wanna attend to specifically in the area of like restrooms being accessible uh, for anyone that would come and join us. And so we're evaluating that. We're thinking about the best way that we can manage those kinds of projects. Um, the church that's currently in there, Grace Baptist, they're kind of entering a new chapter for them. And I think COVID has been pretty challenging for them. Um, but I, I know that their heart's desire was that this facility wouldn't go to becoming apartments, but would be used for the gospel. And so um, in, in a sense, even though we don't know them, we sure care about them. And there's um, a, a joining of, of mission, as it were, for them relative to this, this property. And so that's also a, a joyful thing. Um, as, with any, um, as with any commercial property, with any property, right, uh, there's things like inspections. There's things like financing that has to come through. So I want you to fall in like with it, but don't fall in love with it, okay? <laughs> fall in like with it, and this next week, we're going to try and get in, and I'll do my best to get some video footage and photos, and we can represent that the best way to you guys. Uh, but we also want to be open-handed. We believe God's been giving green lights in this way, uh, but we're going to serve them and be faithful no matter what. And this may come through. It may not. Uh, if you've ever bought a house, you kind of know what that feels like. 
Like this feels good, I kind of want this, but there's things that can still happen between here and the finish line. If, uh, if God continues to give us green lights, we're hoping that that finish line would be somewhere between May 1 and June 1 so that we're able to move in. Now how we manage all of those kinds of improvement projects uh, is a task for us to, to think through. And so I'm, I'm gonna ask you to, to like pray for that too, okay? So that's, that's the update. And here's what I want us to do, okay? There's a couple points that I wanna invite you into. Three Ps. The first is to praise. God, we praise you. We said when the walls were gonna come down, the praises were gonna rise up. And God's doing that. And so we just say all glory goes to him, right, no matter what. So praise him for that. The second is to participate. For many of you, because you've already given, we, we have funds that have come in um, because of that, right? And when we started, it was like, really, do we really want to ask people to start giving right away? It's like, yeah, because you gave, we're able to do things like buy, because there's no chairs. We're a portable church. We have all the carts and, and, and like, you know, speakers and stuff, but we don't have chairs or tables, so there, there are things that we need to procure, and because that has come in, we're able to do that. So thank you. Thanks for participating in that. And, and if you are thinking about that, man, we want to invite you to be a part of this as well. We, we're blessed to have 87% of those who call our church home have participated in Let's Go, and, and now it's becoming even clearer what that future may be, and we just want to see even more people step into that. So praise, participate. Guess what the last P is going to be? There we go. All right, you knew it was gonna be that. And specifically, um, here are the, some prayer points I'm gonna ask you to kind of take away from here and step into at home and as we think about this into the future. Pray for the sale as we go through the process. We don't see any red lights yet, right? There's no big blips that we can think of, but you never know what's gonna happen. Pray for Grace Baptist Church as they move into their next chapter. Um, I imagine they have all sorts of emotions and feelings as they process that, and we care. And then also pray for the management of the kind of the improvements in the transition as we look at what needs to be done in that space. But here's the thing that I want us to keep a laser-like focus on. So pray for all of that, and then I'm gonna ask John in just a moment to, to come up, and he's one of our elders, and I want him to just pray with us about this, okay? But here's the thing that has to be the laser-like focus, and look at me. We are not in the business of securing a building. When, when this church is done and we all stand before God, he's not gonna ask, did you get a building? I'm not accountable if we got a facility. What we're accountable for is are we making disciples? And the question of this building is, is not do we like it, do we love it, the question of this building is how does it help us make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who live in love like Jesus because we want that to be our legacy. That's why we're here. And, and the caution there is this. We've gotten, we got a building. We've arrived. No, listen, the point of the building is not the building. The point of the building is the people. And that's why we're here. That's why we're doing this. That's why we create this community. Because of this community, creating a space where people can explore faith and ask hard questions. I was able to meet with a young lady last week after church who was just growing in her faith and I led her to, to accept Christ as her savior last week and we praise God for that, right? That's the angels rejoicing over those kinds of things. That's what we wanna see happen as a result of what God does through buildings like that, whatever it may be, whether we're portable, whether three or four years or five years or 10 years from now, whatever, we say we wanna make more disciples. And so that means we're gonna to have to pivot. That means we're gonna to have to change. That is our goal, not the building. 
And my dad, who's worked with lots of buildings, my father-in-law who works with church, he says, the problem with the church building is you get in the building and you start thinking about the walls and you stop thinking about the people. Guys, I'm, I, we cannot let that happen. We can't let that happen. John, why don't you come up? And uh, I've asked him as one of our elders just to pray over all this stuff, okay? And I'm telling you, as we find out more, I'm, I'm gonna let you know every week if we have to, kind of how this progress is gonna come along. Uh, there's no secrets here. We're just gonna let you know what's, what's taking place here. Um, but we wanna invite you to be praying for this stuff. Yeah, hold on the red button there. Yep, it's on, you're good. Pray with me. Lord, we do just thank you for how you've carried us this far. Lord, even from the beginning, Lord, just coming into this church plant and now being a, what, five-year-old church, Lord, how you just carried us through so many different challenges, so many different challenges. Um, so, Lord, we do just approach this one with faith. Um, Lord, that you are working, Lord, that you are faithful, that you will provide um, Lord, thank you for this facility. I pray that you would protect our hearts from falling in love with it. Um, but Lord, that we can just continue to move forward with it with our hands open. Lord, that you would just give wisdom in the inspections and wisdom in the financing and just all of that going forward. These are things that can weigh on our hearts deeply because we don't know the future. That's in your hands. But Lord, that we would move forward with faith, trusting the future to you and seeking to be good stewards now of what you've given us. Lord, thank you for um, Grace Church that's been there for, I don't know how long they've been there, um, but Lord, they have been your witnesses in this community before, before we were here. And Lord, ask that you would just carry them into this next chapter and encourage their hearts, give them fruit, and... Um, Give them your spirit, Lord, just as they move forward, wherever that may be. Um, Lord, trusting that you are going forward with blessings for them as well. Um, Lord, also just pray. <laughs> uh, this is my mind, too. Just It is easy to go in to a new space like this and just see everything that needs to be done. What? How can we make this better? What? How can we make this what we want it to be? Um, Lord, that we would not be overwhelmed by the projects, but as Scott was saying, just to be um, be able to keep our eyes on the people. Lord, I love old church buildings like this. Um, 1894, this building has been pointing people to you for hundred, more than 100 years. It has been your witness in this community, and now we get to be just a small part of that history. Um, Lord, help us to be faithful to that history. Lord, again, like Scott said, that our eyes would not stray, Lord, to the building from you. We're not building a nonprofit. We're not seeking to build a business here, Lord. We are your witnesses, and we're seeking to be your stewards here in this community so that your name can be known. And protect our hearts and help us to be faithful to this calling. In your name I pray, amen. All right, grab your orange Bibles. Here we go. What a, great, what a great start to a day to talk about God's faithfulness. It's awesome. It's awesome. 
All right, we're studying a letter from Paul written to some Christians in Galatia. And the series title is called Losing My Religion. Now, how many of you grew up in the 80s and 90s and remember that song from R.E.M.? It's a little bit of only this side of the building. Okay, got it. Um, it's a little bit of a cultural commentary on a shift that had, has been taking place really for the last 75 years. Right? If you went back to the 50s and 60s and pulled someone off the street, you would find that vast majority of people, like, like just about everyone, would have some sort of religious underpinning in the Judeo-Christian worldview. It's not that way. It's shifted greatly in the last 75 years. In fact, about one in five now, about 20% of people in our county would say we have no religious views at all. We have no, they're religious nuns is what they're called. And so there's this shift that has happened. And why it's happened, well, I don't, I don't know. It's almost like a cultural earthquake has taken place. And, and, and there's like a, a, a rising amount of cynicism and there's hurt and offense from what religion is. So that's, that's one aspect where that title has that kind of meaning, but there's another aspect for it as well. Because as we're working through the book of Galatians, that's really the main point. Paul's whole point is this, is that to find our faith, it's actually going to require, it's going to require that we lose our religion. Because religion isn't just how we understand the world came to be. Religion is this idea of if I work hard enough, I can get God's favor if I can just follow a certain set of rules. Now, who gets to say what those sets of rules are, you know? Well, that depends on what group you're a part of, because they'll all have different kinds of rules for whatever it is that they do. And so for many people, they can experience this disconnect because folks follow those rules. They've made up the rules. They're self-righteous about those rules, and it's off it's off-putting, and maybe you've experienced that as well. And because they're, they're judgmental about all of those things, I have these sets of rules, and if you don't follow those rules, if you don't look like me, if you're not born like me, if you didn't have like the same color skin that I have, then, then you're an outsider. Or maybe if, if, you don't, if your life doesn't conform to this pattern of behavior, then you're a moral outsider rather than a moral insider, and so it's exclusionary in its very concept. What's fascinating though is if you, if you look at the way that Jesus lived his life, when he stepped onto the scene, Jesus was called a friend of sinners because he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. They accused him of saying, man, you're just with these moral outsiders, but that's a part of the kingdom that he was bringing to bear, that God is not only for those people who are super righteous or even self-righteous, God is for those people who even mess it up and Jesus demonstrated that. He modeled that. And the whole point of the book of Galatians is really breaking down those kinds of thought patterns, those barriers, what religion had done to these people of God, and, and to introduce, or in this case, to remind these Christians of what something is even better than kind of the old way of doing things, and that's the new covenant, this gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus brought to bear. And so as we work through this book, and man, I hope you're reading through it on your own. Please don't take anything I say only because I said it. You need to open it. You need to read it yourself. As we've been working through it, Paul's just been unpacking and reminding us what the foundation is of how we're made right with God. Because these, these Christians came from a Jewish worldview, and they thought that their Jewishness, what they were born into, makes you right with God. But Paul breaks that down and he says, well, let's think about Abraham. If you remember from last week and the week before, remember Abraham came before all of the, the laws of Moses and the Torah 
And Abraham was credited as being righteous, not because he could follow. He didn't even have the rules, right? It wasn't what he achieved. It was what he received. And he was called justified. That was one of the things we talked about, being declared legally as good with God. We're legally declared good with God. A change in our legal status. I have three teenagers right now in the home, and two of them now have their driver's license. And one of them, I don't know, he's, it's going to be about, what, nine months before you be able to get your permit? Sometime soon. About to have three of them. That's going to be an adventure, right? Uh, but think about when you got your driver's license. Do you remember what that felt like? Before, you were not allowed to drive, now, you could have someone with you when you had your permit or whatever, but there was something legal that changed when you went from having a permit to having a license. If you would have been pulled over when you had your permit and you were by yourself, that was bad news. Now you have your license. If you get pulled over, you're allowed to drive. There's a legal status that changed. Remember when you got that card and you saw the picture and you're like, oh man, can I redo it? And they said, nope. So you're stuck with that picture for quite a while. Remember that? Right? And, and you had that card and how proud you were of that. But I want you to think that's the legal status that was changed. But now think about what it felt like the first time you were able to go out and drive on your own. Right? <laughs> what did you say? You spend? Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. 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 That's better than speeding. Thank you. Um, Freedom, that's exactly what it was like. It was like, my parents were here. It was like, mom, dad, can I go drive to my friend's house? And they say, yeah. And you go and you, and you get all your things and you get in the car and you buckle up and no one else is in the car with you. And you start, the, and you're like driving down the street and it's like this brand new feeling. Your experience, now here, listen, your experience had changed. You had a legal status change. Yes, that was true but your experience was new. You felt it on the inside because now you had freedom when otherwise you didn't have it. I say that because so far we've been talking about being justified with God and this is what, how God sees us. And it's like, okay, those are, that's a legal status change and it matters and it's important. But what Paul does is he now shifts, as we're gonna be in Galatians chapter four, he now shifts and now he starts pressing into the experience of what it means to, to, be, to be saturated in the gospel, to experience Christ in your life, right? So to open your Bibles with me up. Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four. We're gonna be in verses four through seven. This is page 796 in your orange Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please take the orange one and that can be your Bible. Put your name on it and bring it back every week, okay? This is what, this is what he says, okay? First, we're gonna look a little bit at the legal status and then we're gonna talk about the experience. Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law. That's the law of Moses. He was a Jewish person. To redeem those under the law. Paul is saying there's something unique about Jesus. He's born under the law. He perfectly followed the law of Moses. Nobody could do that, just Jesus. Jesus was the only one who was without sin who could satisfy all of the law for us. Now, he says so that he can redeem us. A couple paragraphs earlier, Paul used the same word, and this is what it means to redeem something. And, and maybe even think about what it means to like redeem a voucher. Uh, the paper itself has no value, but when you redeem it, now it actually has great value to you. 
Okay? He, this, this word redeem has to do with this. It means to release a slave or servant from their owners by paying the slave's full price. To release, to release a slaver from, from their owners by paying the full price. Now in this case, the slave master was the law. Jesus pays the full price to the law. He fulfills it so that he's able to free us, okay? So that's the legal status change. That's the license that we're carrying in our pockets. But, but, the, but this is what happens. He did that so that, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship, that's interesting. Now I said this last week, but we, we tend to approach things in our Western worldview and take things and make them very kind of like um, neutral. Like we would make it adoption to be a child of God. But if we did that, we would actually be robbing it of how radically egalitarian like this actually is. How, new, like how much it says that even women who were seen as property, who could not be heirs, now are able to be adopted into the kingdom of God. This is a big deal. Now, adopted, adopted into sonship, it actually is one Greek word, adopted into sonship, one Greek word, and it, and it referred to the full legal standing of someone who was adopted in the Roman culture. In ancient uh, Greek and Roman worlds, sometimes a wealthy man who had a great estate would not have any children, and so he would want to have some heir, otherwise the house would just like fall to pieces or go to the government. No one likes it when it goes to the government. So he'd say, I need to have an heir to pass this down to. And what he could do is he could take a, a, um, a servant or a slave and he could adopt them so that it would stay with the household, so that those that were cared for by the household, so that it would stay together in the middle of all of that. And at that moment of adoption, I want you to think about this. They ceased being a slave and then they started and they received all of the financial privileges, all of the legal privileges that, that being a son and an heir would have. And that was true in the eyes of the law, but that was also true in the eyes of the community as well. This was not someone who was just a slave. They were now a son. This new life would have been a, a life of privilege, a life of access. Things haven't just legally changed. It's not just a license, but now experientially, they're, they're experiencing something way different. They had been a servant before. Now people are serving them. What a big shift. They go from being an outsider to being an, an insider. Now, we, we love to say, we love to say that all people are children of God in the sense that they're descendants of God. That, like that, that's kind of how we mean that. But according to the Old Covenant, not everybody was a child of God. Only the nation of Israel was a child of God. And God didn't love everyone in the Old Covenant. He only loved his people. And the Jewish people weren't called to love everyone. They were just called to love them, their own people. In God's New Covenant, he replaces the Old One. And Paul is now saying, listen, you weren't a child of God because you were a Gentile. You weren't even, that wasn't accessible to you. But now God's taken you. You were separated from that. And now you've been made a son, a daughter, an heir of God's kingdom. And now God's love is available for everyone. It's not just the Jewish nation. His love is available. He can experience being a child of God. It's not just a legal thing. It's an experiential thing. So, so how does that legal change of adoption, and this is what Paul's driving with, okay? How does that legal change of adoption, how does that actually become real to me? 
right? How, do, how does it something that, that goes from just a nice thought, mental assent, to like, I, I know this is true. This is what he says, verse six. Because you are his sons, God sent, now this is fascinating, the spirit of his son into our hearts. When I was growing up, we would say it this way, like, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Right? The spirit of his son into our hearts. So what's happening here is Paul's talking about the third member of the Trinity. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, depending on maybe where you grew up. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is that when the presence of the Holy Spirit was there, this was a significant statement about, about the, the blessing and, and God's interactions with mankind. Experientially, it was quite different because they would believe, you know, the, the, the world was chaos and God spoke it into being. God is this idea, but then what would happen is they would actually experience something that they would say was ecstatic or supernatural. It was this experience that they took inside them. And so they would experience things like this. They, they would see prophets be able to do supernatural things. Samson had the spirit of God upon him and he could like vanquish whole hordes of men. Prophets who would be able to run really fast, like faster than horses. They'd be able to do miraculous signs and wonders. They would all of a sudden, someone who was meek and mild, and you knew that because you grew up with them, they'd step forward with strength and power in their communication that made you say, something that, whoa, something else is going on here, right? Because the Spirit of God was upon them, and that was how they understood the presence of God, the blessing of God, God interacting with them. And so that's, that's, that's also how they would know if someone was actually from God or not. And in fact, the Jews would always look for signs. And so when someone said, oh, I'm a prophet, well, how do I know you're a prophet? You could just be a madman. Lots of people can say, God's talking to me or you should do this thing. And the way that they would verify that is, where's the spirit of God in this person? Can they actually do these amazing things that they would like be able to understand divine dreams, talk about the future? Like that's what prophecy was. That's what, that's what being a prophet meant that you had the spirit of God upon you. So what happened over time though is that the spirit of God in the nation of Israel just kind of went silent with them. See, they, didn't, they didn't have the 66 books of the Bible like we have. The spirit of God was how they communicated with God. Israel rebelled against God. God said, listen, if you want a life without me, I get it. And, and they were carried off and they went into this time period of about 400 years when God's spirit was just strangely silent. Isaiah was one of the last prophets that God spoke through and he spoke of to this broken nation in front of them that God was gonna make things new, that he was gonna send someone that they understood to be the Messiah that was, that was called the suffering servant. And listen to, what, listen to what he says here. In Isaiah, it says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Now listen, to, to a group of people who hadn't heard from God, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. They were hungry for it. They were thirsting for the spirit of God to be present. And this Messiah was gonna bring it to bear in their lives. And so for the, the Jewish nation, the presence of God was always seen as the coming of God's kingdom. Um, it was seen in terms of like, 
uh, God fulfilling his promises to redeem and renew, when God's spirit would show up, we would know that God is on the move. And Isaiah says that's going to happen when the Messiah shows up. And hundreds of years later, there's this wild-eyed guy out in the desert named John the Baptist eating locusts and covered in camel skin. And, and he says this. He says, that, that after me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He says, I will baptize you with water, but he, the Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus literally walks onto the scene right there. John the Baptist baptizes him. And when Jesus comes out of the water, what happens? The Spirit of God, it says, descends on him in bodily form like a dove. I don't know what that looks like. I just picture light, you know, like, I don't know, something rests upon Jesus. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, the voice from heaven says. And the Spirit of God shows up in the Messiah. God had broken the silence. He was on the move. The Spirit of God was shown through Jesus. In fact, Jesus understood that that's part of what he was doing. I'm bringing the Spirit of God back to the people of God. And they would say, well, how do we know you're from God? And he'd say, well, look, I'm going to heal these people. All right, watch, this person was blind, and now he can see. They couldn't walk, now they can walk, exercising demons, telling people like what God's going to do in the future. There's all the evidence that God's Spirit was upon Jesus of Nazareth. God had changed, and he was fulfilling all of that. And then, Jesus has his ministry, and he's getting ready to die on the cross, and he gathers his disciples, and he says, I'm, go I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave you. And they start freaking out. I would too, if I was them. But he, he says this. This is fascinating. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you, you disciples, another advocate, that's the word paraclete, it means a helper, to help you, right, and to be with you, not not like David had where it was just a moment where the Holy Spirit would come upon them, but he will be with you forever. The spirit of, of truth. How do you know what God's words are to you? Well, the spirit of truth will show you that. It says the word cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now listen to what he says. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Hear what he's saying. Jesus says, I will come to you. The Spirit of God will come to you. He is conjoining those two. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. That's why Paul says it. He says, the Spirit of Christ will come to you. Now, John later goes, Don, he says, Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected. 500 people see him. He ascends up to the heavens, and all the disciples are just left staring up into the sky. I can just imagine what that moment was like. Guys, what are we going to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Let's go back to my house. We'll get lunch. All right, so they go, and they're hanging out in the upper room, and they're afraid because, like, the mob and people didn't like Jesus. They're up in this upper room and they're just terrified. And after some time goes by, it says that they're up and they're just hanging out, fearful. And all of a sudden, the sound of a, a mighty wind comes upon them. It rushes into the room. The day of Pentecost occurs. The Holy Spirit of God comes down and tongues of, of fire lays down on each of these disciples and followers of Jesus. And all of a sudden, these people who didn't only knew Aramaic or Hebrew were speaking Russian. 
They were speaking Spanish. People were able to understand them. It's like, how on earth did that happen? This feeble, broken Peter who was hiding in a room, steps outside, declares the gospel of Jesus, and now 3,000 people come to him. All like that. Why? What did they not have before that they have now? The Spirit of God. Their legal status hadn't changed, but now they experienced it because the Spirit of God empowered them to do and feel and be more than they could have been before. The old had gone, the new had come. And so Paul is speaking to these, these Jewish Gentiles in Galatia and saying, why are you trying to go back? Why would you want to go back? We were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And listen, the Holy Spirit even came to these Gentiles. Why would you revert back to that? He says this, verse six. That was a lot of setup. Thanks for hanging out with me on all that. Okay, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Now listen, this is the power, okay? The spirit who calls out. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. He says, so now you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God also made you an heir. See, we, we, we can tend to look at one half of the equation. God has forgiven me of my sins and my debt has gone away. The other half of the equation is God treats us as if we are Christ himself with all the benefits, all the privileges. Timothy Keller says that when we do that, we're really only half saved. <laughs> like we're only looking at half of the equation. And I experienced that in my heart, in my life, because God, I know I know that you've forgiven me, but I just feel like I've messed up and so I need to be on the straight and narrow this week so that you'll love me again. But I don't, I don't recognize, I'm not accepting that God actually looks at me as if I have the obedience of Christ upon me. I have the righteousness of Jesus to my credit in my account. It's half of the equation, it says, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That word calls out isn't just like a hey. It's like a soul anguishing, rendering, belly kind of deep felt crying out. Have you ever known someone who lost all composure because of their emotional state? They weren't manicured. They weren't proper. This is very different from a posture of someone who needs to keep it together because they're in fear or because they don't want to be awkward. Imagine um, you know, your favorite celebrity came to your house or the president or someone of great power and of influence came. While they're there, what are you going to do? You're going to be on your best behavior. Your speech, you're going to care about it. You're probably thinking about what you're going to say before you ever say it so that they'll approve of you. And I want everything to be just right. This is describing for us a very different situation than that. It's an invitation for us to come before God in our mess. It's an invitation to come before God, not all put together, disheveled, like a kid running up to their parents. And sometimes when our kids run up to us, they're, they're not put together. They're, 
they're snotty, they're a mess, you know, and they just bury their head in your pants, and you're like, oh, that's great. (laughs) Booger-faced. This is our permission to go to God in the middle of our mess. To go to him booger-faced. It says this, that we can call him Abba Father. Now, this is not talking about a Swedish disco group from the 70s. It's not this. This is an Aramaic term which meant daddy or papa. It's the kind of language a toddler would have used. It was one of familiarity and intimacy. Now, it's fascinating that it would be an Aramaic word. Why would Paul use an Aramaic word speaking to mostly Greek-speaking Galatians who don't even know that language? Why? Because that's the language Jesus would have used. The Jews had known God as a father, but such a term of familiarity, such a cavalier nature of going before God was a bold use of an intimate term with a transcendent father. They would have never done that, and yet Jesus said, Abba, Father. And now we have the spirit of the son on us, and we have the ability to do that. This is talking about a prayer life. Listen, listen, this is a prayer life that you don't have to rehearse what you say to God. But I don't know what, I don't know what the right words are to say. Well, I... When do our kids ever know the right words to say? They just come before us and they just blah. In fact, I've got three children. As they come home from school, I'll ask them, how was your day? One of them says, it's fine. The other one gives me the 20-minute discourse of everything that happened. But if when they got home, imagine that the whole way up our long driveway, they were like rehearsing and going like, man, I got to get this right. And, and what, okay, I just want to say to dad first. Like if that was the case, Either their day went really, really badly and this was about to go poorly or we have a horrible relationship. That's not what they do. They just say, oh my goodness, you won't believe what happened with this teacher. And then, oh, okay, yeah, 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 all right. That's, that's what we're invited to do, to come before God like that. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the one who calls out, Abba, Father. And I want you to think, What is the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer? In this passage, this is what he's saying. The Spirit is in you to help you experience and to be confirmed that you are a child of the King. What does the enemy do? You don't deserve to be the child of the King. What you looked at, what you said, what's filthy about your heart, you don't deserve that. And what do we experience? We experience those kinds of messages. What does the Spirit of God do? He confirms sonship. He calls out to the Father that this is true, even when we don't have the power to do that. Even when I am so crushed and held down by the weight of my mess or my sin or my inadequacies, you know what the Spirit does before the Father? This one is your son. This is your daughter. He cries it out. Listen, for many of us, we confuse the voice of the enemy with the voice of the spirit. The enemy says, you're not worthy. You you should feel horrible about yourself. And all of a sudden, we think that this conviction is coming from the Holy Spirit. Conviction is actually a legal term saying you are condemned. You are convicted for what you've done. 
the Holy Spirit will convict the world about their sin, but what does the Spirit do for those that are actually born-again followers of Jesus Christ? Not conviction, confirmation. Not you should be ashamed, but you're covered with the blood of the Son. That's something the Spirit does inside of us, and it's deep. I've read and I've studied these New Testament letters over and over again, and every time I read them, I'm always struck by how strong the language is. Most of the time it's written from Paul, sometimes by Peter or James or John, and they're writing and they're talking about suffering and pain and agony, and then they'll also talk about the great hope of God's spirit and why he's there and how he seals us and how he guarantees our inheritance. And I've always asked the question, why? Why did they talk about this so much? It's because they were speaking to an audience of people that were being persecuted for their faith, where it wasn't popular. Where they were ridiculed and their property was taken from them and, it, and they weren't applauded for what they were doing by following Christ. And so they were saying, keep pressing on. Keep going. And knowing that there's going to be these times where we walk through our faith and we're gonna say, you know, my friends don't love that I go to youth group. Uh, my family makes fun of me because I pray before my meals. How do I know that this is actually true? Is this just something I've ascended to mentally? And Paul would say, no, listen, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And I feel that. I once had a friend who accepted Christ and a couple days later he said to me, hey, I was out mowing my lawn, nothing was happening and all of a sudden I was just overwhelmed by a feeling of joy that I've never experienced before. It, it was as if the, the, heavens of, uh, the, the, the clouds of heaven had parted and God was saying, I love you and this is gonna be okay and he says, what was that? He said, that, that was God's spirit. That was God's spirit saying to you that you are a son of the high king of kings. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. How, how does it go from this mental ascent of I agree with the legal status, I have the license, to look at the freedom that I have? This is a new life for me. That, that comes because of the spirit. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever had that time where you accepted the free gift of grace? You've said, God, I've been in rebellion to you, but I want to follow after you, and I believe in Jesus. He is the Son of God, and you were born again. Have you ever, have you ever had that happen? The New Testament tells us that everyone that has been born again has the Spirit of God in them. So let me ask you the question. Have you ever experienced the Holy Spirit like that? If you haven't, that's available to you. And it's not that everyone is a child of God. It's those that God puts his spirit into that declares sonship. Paul tells us if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a faith thing. It's a trust thing. It's I'm believing in the promises and the provision of God. Now listen, if you've never done that, it's available for you. If you have been following Jesus for two years or 20 years, 
and your life is feeling rough right now and you say, how do I know that this is real? Am I following something that's actual or is it just made up? Maybe it's all a bunch of malarkey. Like, what is this? How do I know he lives? He lives within my heart. And whether you experienced it yesterday or two years ago, we look at that and we say this. This is what Paul would say. He would say that that spirit, listen, listen, it's a deposit guaranteeing what's on the other side of this. And on a week when we're thinking a lot about deposits and guarantees and banks. <laughs> I listened to some celebrity who said, half of my money is gone. Pretty, pretty horrible foundation for your life, isn't it? The spirit is a deposit, a seal, guaranteeing that, it's, that you're gonna make it like delivery affirmed, assured. You can take this, the bank. You've got the seal of the king upon you. That's experienced. That's, that's real. So guys, listen, I, I, want you, I want you to hear the heart of God throughout all of this. God so loved you. Listen, this is the layers of this. God so loved you that he sent his son that the whole world could believe and have that kind of life and forgiveness and salvation from condemnation. And then he loved you so much that he would say, I'm gonna put my spirit on you and you're gonna have that full time, 24 seven, available for you. And we're gonna talk about this next week. We're gonna talk about what it means to walk according to the spirit and not according to our flesh and how we actually live that out. But that's the heart of God. And, and some of you in this room, listen, you might have never heard the spirit of God. This is what I want to ask you to do, just to cry out to him and say, God, I want that. I need that. I need to experience that in my life. And then some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time, and this feels like the desert. It feels like the desert. I don't know the way out of that, but here's what I would say to you. Persevere and know that the spirit of God declares sonship over you even when you don't have the power to do that and that God says come into my lap booger faced in a hot mess and you are welcome and that's our response that's where we get to experience it so I just want to pray that for you on like on your behalf right let's go to the father together and then we're going to declare I'm a child of God yes I am I am not forsaken I am chosen we're going to sing that together God thanks for your word that speaks this over us we're going to have strong weeks and we're going to have weak weeks. But on the heights and on the valleys, your spirit declares sonship when the enemy attacks. God, for those in this room that right now their faith feels thin, would they experience that spirit, the spirit of Christ in them? For those that feel like they just want to submit to all of the anger inside of them, God, would you walk us into this next week or like who, who have all of the worry and anxiety and care and the strife and, and kind of that side of who we are as human beings. God, in this next week, would you walk us into an increasing measure of your spirit? God, I pray it for me. God, I need that. I feel weary this morning. Strength will rise when we wait upon the Lord. God, you are present and you are here. And Lord, you have provided for our church and we're just grateful for that. God, may we grow in our understanding of being sons and daughters of the King. Jesus, we worship you, we praise you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.